Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. I want to welcome you tonight to Real Cuff Radio. And uh, Real Cuff Star stands for Real Courage Under Fire. And we have some, whether you want to call them stories or you want to call them uh, accounts, but uh, we have Marsha Kendall on again today. And we're going to have her just tell some of the different uh, stories in her life. And um, I, I want to mention that I, you know, grew up in my teenage years here in these, and they really inspired me, and I really believe they're going to inspire a lot of people that are out there. So um, Julie is on the line with me tonight. Hello. And Hello. And Marsha Kendall is on the line. Hello. And uh, so... Um, we really felt like you should start off telling the story about the, the Bible college over in the Philippines. And I believe that encounter happened, it was back in the 80s, if I'm correct. Yes, that's correct. And where... 1982. Oh, 82, wow. Mm-hmm. And yes, in fact, I had been praying and I kept feeling like I was going to uh, be going to the Philippines, and uh, one night at church, it was so strong, I felt so strongly that I was to go, but um, I, I thought, well, I need to have this verified, whether this be of the Lord or me, because I didn't need to be just running halfway around the world. Um, I had much going, a lot to do, and yet I felt this tugging uh, as I was in prayer to go ahead and make preparation. So I went uh, down to the front of our church during the offertory and uh, asked him for prayer from our pastor, and um, he he got excited when I uh, shared this with him. I said, you know, I I really am persuaded that I need to go to the Philippines very soon. And uh, he said, I believe it too. In fact, if you'll come by the office in the morning, I'll give you the check and I'm going to pay for it. Wow. Yes. So he said, uh, call and find out what it's going to cost let us know, and we'll provide the funds for you to go. We know your life. I've known you for 10 years, and uh, you're of good report, and I don't believe you'd be doing anything foolish. So we want to be a part in what you're going to do. So I called the airlines and made a reservation <laughs> and uh, went uh, to the church office, picked up a check, and uh, then I went and paid for the ticket. That was in the days when you could do that. So uh, I was to leave three weeks uh, later. And so um, I, uh, I was making my preparation to go. And I knew that all the while that um, if I was to go, God had a plan for me. But I didn't know what it was. And I did not tell, and when I tell this, uh, I say this carefully because I would never recommend anyone to do what I did. Uh, You can't just pull off and do something like I did. Uh, I I didn't know where I was going, and I didn't know how I was going to, what I was going to do once I got there. But I did remember... Uh, my Aunt Mamie, who was a, a missionary to the Philippine Islands for over 60 years, and over our lifetime, she may have come to our home four or five times. And I remember one time when I saw her, 
maybe 20 years earlier uh, because I didn't see her very much. She was uh, uh, coming and going very infrequently. And uh, having worked with uh, Lester, uh, uh, excuse me, I, I got the name wrong here, was, uh, I'll tell you in just a moment, but uh, having worked with um, a man and his wife uh, from, uh, that were also in the Assemblies of God, and uh, they, they were doing a great work over there. And she said, if you ever need to get a hold of me, she left a number with us, uh, uh, and it would be the home of Stanny Runyon. Uh, she and her husband, for years, uh, signed the missionaries for the assemblies in and out of the Philippines, and uh, they, that was the first point of contact. So th- th- she said, well, she'll know where I'm at. Well, I, I didn't even tell my husband uh, I didn't know what I was going to do once I got there. But um, about 2 o'clock one morning, while I was in prayer and really felt to seek God, because I was leaving in two days and had nothing planned on the other end yet, but I kept feeling like I was to wait. And uh, so I got up about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I remembered... The number, and I went to my Rolodex, and I found the Runyon's phone number, and I dialed that number in the Philippines, and who answered it but my Aunt Mamie. Now, my Aunt Mamie had been 1,000 miles south of there, had came to up to Manila to renew her passport, because God spoke to her, she was to stay for three more weeks. And that's how long I was going to be there. Without knowing, she came and the Runyons picked her up, took her to their home and said, we have an errand, we must uh, go to the post office. If the phone rings, would you answer it, Mamie? And so she had been there 20 minutes when I called. And... So when she answered, I said, is this Aunt Mamie? She said, well, this is Sister Mamie Williams. I said, well, this is Marcia Kendall, your niece. And she said, Marcia, what are you doing calling here? I said, well, I was going to see if I could figure out where you were and maybe touch base with you when I come that way. When will you be here? I said, uh, I'm leaving day after tomorrow. And I told her when I would get in. And she said, I'll be at the airport to pick you up. And uh, uh, first of all, she said, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I just know God is sending me. She said, I'll pick you up at the airport. And by the time I made that long trip over there, uh, I was sure glad to see her at that airport. And uh, she was smiling real big. I'll never forget something I said to her. I said, you know, I believe the Lord shows me something, and I begin to weep at that airport. I said, I see me reaching the other, uh, uh, the other side of that great river into heaven, and I see you. It was like I saw her behind this uh, uh, shield, and she was smiling real big and waving at me. And I said, you know what? comes to me one day. I'm going to reach heaven. And I'm going to see you just like what you're doing now. And we laughed and hugged one another. And uh, she said, what are you willing to do? I've never forgotten that. What are you willing to do? And I said, anything. She said, I thought that you would say that. So I have someone picking you up. I made a call and they'll pick you up. Uh, In about three hours, you will go, you'll shower and Refresh yourself, and then you're going to go for one uh, for um, several days uh, out into the out into the bush, and you'll minister uh, there, and they'll bring you back uh, in three days. I said okay, and I I remember I can't remember the the name of the place where we were, but I do remember several things. First, I was the only woman or man 
that had white skin, and I was also uh, there uh, as as a guest of a pastor and his wife who had children and very little to eat. And I remember that they brought out uh, and she prepared one can of Spam for her five children and them and me. And she had two or three potatoes. And uh, I, I was filled very quickly with only one small piece of that. I, I refused to take more. I, I, God took my appetite so they could eat too, <laughs> I'm sure. But then when I got taken back to my Aunt Mamie in Manila, she said, again, I'm asking, what are you willing to do? I said, I'll go where you go. She said, good. We're, we're going to catch a plane in the morning, and we'll be going south, and we're going to minister there. While you were gone, I got my visa extended for three weeks. So how long are you going to be here? I said, three weeks. And so we, we on the flight going to Mindanao, uh, down in the southern tip of the Philippines, we flew into General Santos City, and uh, on the way, I found out that I was going to be taking the place of two men that had had their heads taken by the Muslims, and uh, that we would be at a an Assembly of God Bible school in General Santos City, right, right out on the outskirts, that the that had been forty years. Uh, uh, it was 40 years built, and uh, they were mainly Muslim and and uh, Hindi uh, Hindu uh, students that had found Christ. And so I prayed uh, on that flight, and and um, because I was afraid, but I didn't tell my aunt Mamie. I had told her, "Wherever you go, I'll go." And I'll do anything. And so it was too late anyway. I was on the plane and I couldn't get off. So I uh, I found myself fearful. And I I on that plane I uh, put together a little song. There is no fear in the perfect will of God, for His love will never take you where His grace cannot keep you. There is no fear in the perfect will of God. And so I, I, uh, uh, we got off of the plane. She told me, she said, make sure you dress very plain. Put a headscarf on your head. She said, uh, don't look at a man in the eyes and keep your head down. And uh, make sure you have no jewelry on and no makeup. And so I followed everything she said. And we emerged from that plane to find our bags in at the um, baggage claim, which was like a pigsty. It was muddy, and it had a little barrier around it. And we retrieved our bags, and there was someone there to meet us, and we went to Ogbeam Bible College, and, uh, and th- of where I was going to teach for... Uh, the next two and a half weeks before their graduations so that they could graduate. And they had needed a, a teacher, and she, she um, when she saw me coming, they had prayed, and God told her I was going to be the one. Well, I had asked the Lord, what in the world can I teach these Bible students? What can I teach them? And Lord, what will be the theme of these two and a half weeks and he said teach them to live by faith I didn't know what all I knew how to live by faith by myself but how do you teach someone how to live by faith you can uh, uh, you can figure it out for yourself and by trusting God and by putting him first in your life and by learning to to not get carried away to too much in your life with fear uh, doesn't mean you won't be afraid but you know 
in Psalms, there's, in fact, one chapter of Psalms, it says, I'll trust in the Lord and not be afraid. Yet, further on down in that same chapter, a little lower, it says, it does say this, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. So, provision is made where we don't have to fear, but if we seemingly can't help ourselves, then we're to trust in the Lord. And so I was on that second promise, uh, holding on to God and walking by faith. But I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to teach? And what? how shall I do it? And the Lord gave me an idea. You know, many times uh, when I pray and I ask God for an answer, he gives me an idea. And uh, I'm not saying every idea I've had has always been from the Lord. I've had a lot of good ideas, quite frankly. And then I've had a lot of God ideas. So I have to try to figure out which is which ones are which sometimes. But um, I did have a, a God idea. And what came to me was to tell incidences or stories or relate to them things that had happened to us where God provided or he protected. And, you know, the scripture says that uh, and admonishes us to, to that we are made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so I began to talk with the students and get to know them a little bit. And then I told them, we're going to learn to walk by faith uh, and I didn't even really know what all I was saying, but I just said what I felt God was putting in my heart. And I, I would find the scriptures that would relate to those uh, accounts where, in fact, one of them was when one time John and I had uh, given away our paycheck uh, to a family that had no money and they couldn't pay their bills and they were struggling and I thought I had enough money in the bank to buy groceries. John used to get paid every two weeks. I thought we had enough money to buy our groceries. And I thought, you know, I think I can stretch out and wait on paying a bill or two. Now, his his pay for two weeks was just a little over $600. But that was a lot of money to people that didn't have anything. And it suddenly became a lot to me when I found out we only had about $29 left in the bank for groceries. It was, um, I think it was in between six and 29. I, I, I remember at one point it got on six <laughs> and I said, Oh my. And John chided me. He said, I thought you said we had money. And I said, I thought we did. And so here we gave away our provision and we were waiting on God without tell. We didn't tell anyone. We wouldn't tell anyone. We just told God. And uh, we didn't want anyone to uh, feel sorry for us or, or come off like we were begging. So we didn't tell anyone, but we told the Lord. And we told our kids. So we asked our kids to pray with us that the Lord would provide. And uh, the next evening uh we were going down the road and we saw something in the middle of the road and uh john got out of the car pulled over and i thought it looked like a, a woman's large purse but it happened to be a large grocery bag and there were things scattered all over the road and we found 15 butcher wrapped frozen steaks so i told about that story and i told about how a neighbor came a day after that and brought two 10-pound sacks of potatoes and some bread from the bread store and that they'd gotten it discounting. And um, I told about how God had provided on other instances to feed us. Uh, in fact, I'm going to share this with you if, if it's okay. But there was a man by the name of Virgil Archer that was an inventor. And uh, he had invented a new cooker for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he went to our church at Beverly Hills Baptist Church in Dallas. And I remember that morning, 
I awoke and was preparing the day uh, to go to church, and I thought I needed to get something started for lunch, and I, I began to look through uh, my cupboards, and, and I had vegetables, but I had no meat. And I said, Lord, if I just had one chicken, Lord, I'd really like to have a chicken, but I'll make a good uh, southern vegetable lunch, and I'll make cornbread with it, and that'll be fine. Well, we get to church, and we're getting out of our station wagon with, with all of our kids, and I I think at that time we may have another one that I had helped. I was helping uh, um, as an emergency care worker, not paid, but I would get a child now and then to help uh, take care of until they placed them somewhere. And so we were getting out of the station wagon with all the children and getting ready to go in church. And Virgil Archer and his wife, Louise, waved at us and said, Hey, kids, come here. And we walk over to where he he, uh, had this uh, big covered truck, and he said, would you kids like some chicken? And I said, oh, I was wishing I had a chicken this morning. And he said, well, we finished our cookers. He said, they bought my cookers at Kentucky Fried. And he said, I've got a lot of chicken left over. He said, I've got four boxes of uh, these. They were these boxes that are um, slick, um, have the... um, Oh, it looks like plastic or something on the outside of them. But anyway, it was it was like 25 pounds of chicken breasts. And he said, I want to give these to you kids. Would you take them? I said, I sure will. And then he reached down and gave me a, a container that was full of flour. And then he gave me a big box of... Uh, lard to cook it in. I guess it was lard. I I don't know what it was. I think it may have been in a tin also. But he gave me the oil or, or uh, the means to cook that chicken with. And we put that in. A, and I laughed. I said, you know what? God is so good. Well, I, I shared these things. I shared other instances of how God has met our needs so many times, never telling anyone. You know, I I believe as Christians especially, we should never go around, uh, you know, begging or telling what we need. We we can tell how God provided after the need's been met. But I found out you, you find out if God really does send it if you don't tell anyone. Otherwise, if you've hinted, you're missing your biggest blessing because God wants to show himself alive and real to all of us. Well, they were they were impressed somewhat, I think. Uh, but, you know, it was hard for them to relate to some of it a little bit. But I shared, uh, every night I'd share along with the word that God would give me about how he would protect us. And I gave the stories on protection and and how we got trapped on a train track with a train coming once and how we were rescued and, oh, I, I, you know, all these things. Anyway, they said, Mom, could we believe God? And, Julie, I find out that it's not so much what we do or what's happened to us, but if in the telling of what God can do, we cause another person to be able to believe God for themselves. That's yeah. where the successful Christian life is magnified. So mm. I just was so excited. I said, yes, what would you like to believe God for? And they said, we would like to believe God for food. And the what it, what was happening is because the... Finances were so low, and all the wor- all the college over there and things had been taken. Uh, they were reduced to uh, a boiled fish head, a small boiled fish head, um, and rice, some boiled rice, and that's what they ate. Um, 
twice a day. It was it was not much that they ate, and it wasn't a, a variety of food like what we have. Uh, sometimes in the morning they would have uh, maybe a little, I don't know, it was a gruel or something that they put together, but... I uh those fish those fish heads had not been properly refrigerated there was no refrigeration there so they um they smelled not good and uh 3 days I fasted I said oh I'm fasting and uh, on the 4th day it smelled good and I ate but we all we struggled together there um so anyway, uh, I, I said, Lord, we need something else. I'd heard that there's a Dole Plantation uh, plant there in Mindanao. There's two places in the world where Dole uh, pineapple is uh, canned and put together. One is in the Philip uh, is uh, in Mindanao in the Philippines. The other is in Hawaii, and so. I'd heard that they they would give you a tour of the plant, and afterwards uh, they would give you a free taste of the pineapple. So they arranged for me to go, and I said, I'm going to see if I can come back with some pineapple. There were 82 students over there. I uh, went to the Dole plant where they were processing, and I walked across cat walks that I would have never walked across in the United States. We walked across uh, boiling pots of pineapple. We, we observed very closely, and the pungent smell of the pineapple floated above it, above those steaming pots, and I could, I could feel my mouth watering. In fact, even as I talked to you... <laughs> It's almost like I can still remember that smell, and I need to swallow here. Excuse me, <laughs> but the uh, the pineapple smell was so wonderful. And I've never been a great advocate of pineapple, but it was awesome. It was a treat. It was like, oh, it was an awesome thing to even think about that I was going to get to have a piece of that at the end of the tour. Well, they took us in this little room. And gave us some pandasol, and brought in uh, one of these cans, you know, that uh, large, like uh, six. Uh, I don't know how many pounds is in there. Maybe it's five pounds of uh, vegetable cans, but it had been stripped off and used, and then they were using it to hold some of those pineapple. And they brought it to us, and I remember sitting in that room. I almost cried. As I ate it, it was so wonderful. And the bread, the little pandasol bread that they gave to us. And and uh, I ate two and three slices of it. And there, were, there was a pastor and his wife with me, in fact, that had taken me there. And then there was uh, uh, four other people that had straggled in from different places to be on the tour. Well... Uh, after my three pieces, and everybody was had quit eating, and I looked at that bucket of pieces, and I said, would you care if I had one more? And they said, oh, take two. So they gave me those two, and I said, would you care if I had a little more? And I I don't know the exact number, but I think it, it I'm embarrassed to tell you, I did eat a lot. And they said, just eat all you want. So I took them at their word, and I think they felt sorry for me. <laughs> but my mouth was beginning to crack open, and, and I could taste a little blood. And it, I was, it was just that acid was eating at my lips. And I had already asked if I could buy some of the pineapple, and they said, no, we, we can't sell it. Uh, we just give the taste. Of, and when I... They saw what I was doing, that I was, I said, I'm sorry, but I'm embarrassing myself on one hand, but I'm so hungry. And thank you, thank you. And I just kept, and so the man in charge of the plant, he said something in Tagalog to the runner that was his runner that would run for this and run for that. And they came back 
and had put a, had filled that bucket up with pineapple and he put a piece of paper over it and he said, I can't sell it, but I will give this to you. Oh, we went back to that Bible school and, you know, there was a very, we all laughed about it, but there was um, 82 pieces plus five for the workers and none for me. <laughs> I had enjoyed mine, <laughs> but they were laughing and praising God over that pineapple. Well, what a night we had. And they said, Mom, instead of saying, Ma'am, they said, Mom, what do we believe God for for tomorrow? I said, oh, let's believe God for bananas. I mean, I thought it would be easy to believe God for bananas in the jungle. And uh, unfortunately, because down in Mindanao, there's so many people and so hungry, they would take the bananas off the trees before they even got ripe. And they would cook them, fry them. And uh, most of the bananas from Mindanao are exported. And so... uh, I I thought, well, I'll go into town and I'll buy some. I had taken some extra money with me. So uh, they put me in a little bicycle with with a lady that was down there doing some missionary work by the name of Grace Pointer. And Grace and I uh, went on the bicycle. Well, uh, that was a taxi cab, really. That's what they called it. But it was a bicycle with uh, room for two people. And the little fella, he traipsed us to town running and uh, got us into town in General Santos City. And uh, I had asked um, to try to buy bananas, and there were no bananas to be had. So I said, well, we're going to uh, believe God for bananas and uh so that night, we all prayed. I said, let's all pray that the Lord will give us a banana tomorrow. And I thought, I've got to find somewhere else to buy them. I've got to buy these bananas. Because, Lord, I don't know where I'm going to find these bananas. So we headed up to a little uh, uh, village that day called Tupanop. Now, Tupanop was um, uh, where the headhunters lived. And they are short people. In fact... The little girl that took me up there, her name was Diana. She had come down off the mountain from Tupanop uh, to hear the uh, speakers at the Bible school. And she wound up being born again, giving her heart to Jesus. And then she went back up to her people and she built a little church out of cinder blocks. It was a probably maybe... Uh, maybe 10 by 12, 10 by 14, and had a place for windows, but no windows in it, and a place for a door, but no door there. And she held church, and she was trying to teach her people what she had learned. By the way, Diana came to my waist. She was 22 years old, but she was a perfectly formed uh, young lady, and beautiful, and had a little bitty high squeaky voice, and she was so loving and kind. I remember asking her, Diana, who's the pastor of this church? She says, I am. And uh, I said, well, who's the superintendent? I am. Who's the Sunday school teacher? I am. Who leads the song service? I do. And she said, when someone would... She had not yet had any salvations, but she said the first man that would give his heart to the Lord would become the pastor, and she would set them in as they gave their hearts to Jesus. What faith. I mean, she just touched my life, and Lord touched Diana today in Tupanop or wherever she is. But um, anyway, we headed back down. uh, In fact, we had ridden in the jeepney as far as we could go and then we had to get out and walk all of the houses in Tupanop were on uh, were thatched roof houses on stilts and she had taken me up there to pray for people because there there was a great sickness in her barrio and so 
I found out later the Lord really did protect me because they had some serious, serious illnesses, and uh, and God watched over me. Um, so I didn't kill it. Uh, get any of the malaria that was going around and so we started back down to go back to the bible school and uh, we walked to the jeepney and then got in and started down the path and we saw these women uh in the path with bananas on their head with stalks of bananas on their head and uh i t- i said stop tell them i want those bananas I'll pay for them. And they said, no, we were told that a white woman would be coming this way and uh, that we were to give her these bananas. Now, mind you, there is there was no telephone, no telegraph, no, uh, that was in the days before email, or there was no way for them to have heard. I didn't think it was even strange at the time. I did try to take their pictures, and they wouldn't let me take their pictures. And I thought, oh, like American women, they're, 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 uh, they have a little bit of vanity, you know. But uh, I didn't take their picture. But we did get the bananas, and they, and they said they were to give them to, to me. Well, I, I didn't think too much about it till one of the kids from the Bible school, they said, Mom, this is highly irregular. No one does this. Do you realize this is highly irregular? Well, oh, there was dancing with those bananas that night, praising God, holding them in the air, waving those bananas. What a joy, what a joy. So at church, they said, Mom, can we believe God for something else? I said, oh, definitely. They said, Mom, when the when the men came in, the Muslims came in and and killed our leaders, we we had no Bibles. And so what we did, many of us tore our Bibles into parts and we hid them in rocks, and under rocks and in different places. And uh, But they took our Bibles. We would like to have a Bible because we'll be graduating in two and a half weeks. We would like to be able to take the Word of God to our people. And I had already said, yes, they could believe and I went, oh, Lord, where are we going to find Bibles in the jungle? Now, I'm telling you something. It's easy to say you're going to teach someone how to live by faith, but when you're having to walk that <laughs> right along with them, you know, I can, I can t- I, I, I'm not afraid to walk alone by myself and believe God because uh, sometimes things don't come like what we want. And, and I thought, oh, Lord. And I remember that night weeping, laying on that old straw mattress that they had gathered that straw and put it together for me, a mattress. And I said, oh, God, please, please. And, and finally, all I could do was just weep. I mean, the tears were laying on that, that mattress, uh, my tears running down my head. And I woke then in the middle of the night praying and crying again. And Grace Pointer and I shared the same room, and she was doing the same. We were both trusting God. We said, Lord, we don't know how. We don't know how, but we thank you. So the next day I go back to General Santos City. I asked for a Bible bookstore. They said, oh, there's a Baptist Bible bookstore in General Santos City. So we go, and they had tracks laid on all of the board shelves, but they did have two Bibles. And uh, I bought those Bibles. I paid a big sum of money for those two Bibles. One was smaller with a, with a zipper around it, and one was a larger one. And uh, so I, I asked my Aunt Mamie what, what I should do. I said, I can only get two. And she, I said, that's all they had. She said, well, we'll present one to the worthiest young man and present one to the worthiest young woman. You would have thought that those kids had received a multi-million dollars when we explained that we had found two and God had provided two, and that was the beginning of what he would provide because, you know, they would have to have the Word of God 
to take, and they needed the Word of God in their hands. They had it in their hearts, and they were willing to start out with that, but I said, somewhere God's going to provide the Bibles that you've asked for. So uh, that night, those, those I'll never forget what I, as I saw those young people, the, the fellow, he, he bent over, weeping all the way to the floor, and then would bend back up and take the Bible and hold it up in the air with tears running down his face. He was a Muslim young man whose family had already had a funeral for him and considered him dead to them. And uh, then the day after we uh, arrived there, he came into my Aunt Mamie's office, and and I excused myself. And the story was that his parents had sent word that they needed him to uh, come and go to work because they were starving. And before uh, he'd come to Bible school, he had been a taxi driver. He had his own bicycle, and uh, and th- uh, this is uh, was their living. And here they had said he was dead to them, and now they say they need him back. Could he come and please so that they wouldn't starve? And I remember I, I thought it was a little hard that my Aunt Mamie had told him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And he made the choice to finish and graduate from Bible school two and a half more weeks. So he sent back word he could not come, but if they would wait for two and a half weeks, he would come and help them before he went into the ministry. And so uh, that was the young man we presented the Bible to. He was crying so profusely, and he was crying out. He was choking it out. I will give 60 work hours for this Bible. I want to pay. It is so wonderful. I will pay for this. And we said, no, accept it as a gift from God. And the young men gathered around him, just touching it. They'd begin to cry and howl just to touch the Word of God. It was so holy. I, I I just fell to my knees. I didn't even get down carefully. I just fell to my knees from a standing position, crying at the top of my lungs myself because it was so holy to see how the appreciation of the Word of God. Then the young woman, after we had presented hers, the same, the women, young women gathered around and reaching out their hands, and she would reach out and let them all touch it. And they would bring it to their face and their lips, and they would, they would cry. And then they just praised God because their Bible was on the way. They were believing. I'm telling you what, they weren't doubting. They knew their Bible would come, but that we didn't know how or when. And we didn't know if it would be before graduation or after graduation. Pretty soon my time came that I had to leave, and uh, the morning that I was going to leave, I was I woke up 4 o'clock in the morning, I heard the birds, and I heard the, the jungle sounds, and I heard the girls begin to sing in their dorm, and by the way, their dorm, all it had was, uh, they had boards that they slept on with a roll-up mat that they rolled out. They uh, None of them had two changes of clothes. They all had the clothes, and they were given a, a piece of material that they would wrap around themselves at night, and they would wash out their clothes. Uh, it, it, it was just sobering to see how God was so touching these young people in the jungles of the Philippine Islands at Ogbeam Bible College. So... Uh, and the men would begin to sing, and you'd see them out with their makeshift brooms, sweeping the dirt, preparing for the day. And uh, I began to weep again and just praise God for what he was going to do, when all of a sudden I heard a jeep come into the compound. And I saw a boy, I looked out through the slats, and I saw a young man run to the jeep, and he let out a howl and a and a uh, sound that 
made shivers go through my <laughs> my body and the hair stand on my arms. I, th- I thought, I don't know what this is. And then everyone started running from both uh, dorms and they were running out there. The Gideons had came to Ogbeam Bible College. Now, Aunt Mamie said that in 40 years of that Assembly of God Bible College, the 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 um, uh, Gideons had never given them a Bible, although they had needed them at times past, and some of the students would have to share, two and three would have to share a Bible until they could get some. And, and here they came in, they said, we're getting a new shipment of Bibles. Would anyone here need a Bible? And you ought to have seen those 82 Bible students out there running under the trees, crying, shouting with their Bibles. They all got a Bible. And I was praising God. We were so excited because that was the day I was going to go home. We were going to catch our plane, Mamie and I, and return to the States together. And so... uh, it was just it was just an awesome. By the way, that was Lester Summerall and his wife that they used to uh, that she worked with for years over there. She was there for over sixty years in the Philippines, helped to build over seven hundred churches, and helped wow. to, to to raise money for many of those churches. She'd she'd land in San Francisco from the Philippines and preach her way back to her bungalow on the Assembly God campgrounds in Durant, Florida. And by the time she got there, she would have the money needed to build another church over there. She she was quite a woman of God. But um, anyhow, we, uh, we were out underneath the, the trees and saying our goodbyes, and they gave me a little party. One of them wrapped up a piece of soap, and one of them wrapped up a piece of their material for me. And it was just sobering that they were wanting to do something and give me something that was a part of them. One had a shell that I don't know where they had gotten it, but they had the shell and they gave me the shell. And uh, and wrapping them up, the things up in little bits of paper. And uh, I was out there and they said, please, Mom, tell us one more thing. Tell us one more thing. I So I'm out underneath the tree and I'm telling them, how God will protect them for them to go and speak the truth, the word of God, and that it would it would cut asunder all of the sins of the people if they would receive the word of God was like a two-edged sword. And I was sharing these things when all of a sudden I found myself falling to the ground. And uh, I didn't know it, but a coconut had fell on my head from out of the tree and we shouldn't have been under that tree because that it's a very very uh dangerous thing to uh, to stand for long under a coconut tree they do much damage and i thought i i thought i had my head taken and i thought i remember thinking as i was going to the ground i'm dying and it doesn't hurt to die isn't that interesting so I yeah. wasn't afraid, but I thought I'm dying. I've I've had my head taken, but uh, wow. because I felt this blow, and that was all I remember until they start and they start picking me up, and they're saying, "Mom, mom, mom," and I stood back. I all of a sudden I I steadied my feet. I said, "I'm fine." I said, "Now for what I was telling you." When you go out, God will put his hand in between your head and the coconut. Well, they were (laughs) weeping and praising God. I didn't think too much about that. We get on the plane, and Mamie said, do you realize what a miracle you had? And I said, being able to teach for two and a half weeks (laughs) and be able to, uh, to leave here? She said, no. She said, she said, when you got hit in the head with a coconut, she said, Many of our missionaries have have been hit in the head, and she said three or four months later they wake up. If they wake up, we've had a couple of our missionaries die from being hit in the head when a coconut fell out of a tree. And she said it's very dangerous, very dangerous. And uh, I didn't realize that until after it was all over. 
but my my heart has been in the Philippines ever since. I, I love going to the Philippines. I've gone since then. I've returned. I've not returned to Mindanao, but um, I have been in, on all five islands in the Philippines ministering. I've ministered in all of the uh, uh, Assembly of God Bible Colleges over there. And uh, uh, someone asked me, are you Assembly of God? No, I'm not. But I tell you what, my aunt sure paved the way for me. And I tell you what, there's some precious, precious, wonderful people. And I love the assemblies. And I love their their ability to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So I I thank you for allowing me to share a witness to you. Uh, Do you have any questions that maybe you'd like to answer me? I mean, uh, for me to answer well, I don't know so much of the question, but it, I have to say that it really uh, it really breaks my heart because you think about, well, just the Bibles. I mean, how many we have on our shelf at home? Yes. You know? Uh, do you know, after that, when I would speak anywhere, uh, I, you know, when I'd minister out anywhere, I would, if I was going to be there for more than one service, I would say, would you go home and bring me your extra Bibles. I don't, I don't want money from you. I want to take Bibles back because our Bible schools over there needed them. And uh, they had converts and we, we needed the Bibles. And uh, so I said, would you bring your Bibles? And so I received many, many Bibles, boxes of Bibles. The next time I went, I took those Bibles with me and I went to the I went again to the uh, uh, colleges there, and I gave out these Bibles so that they would have them uh, to be able to share with those that may need them. Um, and I gave some to, uh, 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 by then, the, the Curtises, Betty and James Curtis, were the ones receiving the missionaries, in, and, and I stayed in their home. I returned again with Mamie at that point, and uh, i tell you what, I, I didn't realize what a lady she was. I knew she was a, a, a wonderful woman of God. Um, she, she would, when she visited our home when I was a little girl, I remember her laying her hands on my head and praying for me and praying for our family. And because of her witness, we have come to know the Lord. But... Um, I, I would see signs wherever we went. It would say, Welcome, Evangelist Mamie E. Williams. And she was in her late 80s that last time that I made my missionary journey with her and so well thought of and, and, and honored. And it was such an honor to be, to be related to her, you know. So we, I have a good heritage there. Uh, my aunt is now with the Lord. But her sister, who is 97, still pastors a church in Macon, Georgia, uh, Glad Tidings Assembly in Macon, Georgia. She and her husband wow. built that church. Yes. And right now she's uh, on a little sabbatical. She broke a hip, so she's healing up. And she's got someone filling her spot until she can <laughs> finish her healing. At 97. Ninety-seven, ninety-seven. Wow. Yeah, isn't that something? Do you know? I know more. I know more. Uh, more pastors over the age of eighty that are now pastoring churches uh, that are so uh, on fire for the Lord, even in their later years, that the people don't want to let them go. They don't vote them out. They don't. They don't want them to go on. They want to keep them. Uh, I uh, I know a pastor in Palestine, Texas, Brother Benny Burleson. Uh, he is uh, a wonderful, wonderful man of God. He was the coach for the high school there for years, and his wife was the home ec teacher. And um, he's pastored three churches in Palestine, Texas. He pastored First Baptist for 20 years. And uh, in fact, he, uh, I, I don't think he'd mind me sharing his testimony, but he he was a good man. He had loved the Lord all of his life, went to Baylor, and uh, but 
when he stood up to preach his Sunday morning sermon on being born again, he realized he had never given his heart to Jesus. He had just lived for God, lived a clean life and made all the right decisions all of his life, but he had never really been born again. So after he preached his sermon and he told, you know, it's not enough to be just a church member. You must be born again. And he told them how, and he said, and I'm going to be the first one. And he went down, and he knelt at the altar and gave his life to Jesus. Well, uh, unfortunately, his tenure was over after that. And um, so uh, he was asked to resign and give their 20 years of preaching money back, I think. But, uh, you know, people didn't understand. But... uh, uh, that night, they called in the missionary, uh, the uh, area missionary, to baptize because not only did the pastor get saved, but he had about twenty of his congregation that also had had been just like him, good people, but had never just had a born again experience with the Lord, an encounter with Christ, a time. You know, it's not enough to shake a minister's hand and walk down the aisle, you know, that's good. But if you've not had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, then things stay the same in your life. When you're truly born again, old things pass away and all things become new. And so uh, he went down the street. He started another, another church. He pastored that church until he was in his, oh, I think he was 70-something, and he retired. And then he retired, moved to Dallas, and and the people, some people kept calling. He said, well, if you'll get 40 people together, I'll come back. Now he's 84 or 85 now, and he's still pastoring. And I know others that uh, Brother... Oh, Marshall Williams from down in Maybank, Texas, uh, near Gun Barrel. Uh, he's 90 years old, and he and his wife still pastor a church. I'm telling you, I know some wonderful men and women of God. And along these lines, I believe maybe because of the fact that we missed a generation, so many, uh, uh, so many people began to uh look more for the good life rather than the god life and got lost somewhere along the way so god has called some of these older pastors to step back into the pulpit and he's calling some of the people that are over 60 to go back to teaching the children in the churches and and mentoring the young women and because we have uh, such a such a dearth of need, and God is raising many of the older generation back to complete what needs to be completed, and we're seeing it take place. We're seeing such honor given to those who are who are uh, who at one time would go sit in the rocking chair and 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 uh, be ready in their retirement to, uh, as we call it, enjoy the rest of their life. But the Lord just began to stir them once again, and they've began to be a great help in the church. It's wonderful, wonderful. In fact, uh, uh, I, I love to see Brother um, Marshall Williams. He, he sings the song, I Haven't Got Time to Let the Devil Get Me Down. And such a blessing these older saints of God are. May we fill their shoes. May people that are listening even to this say, you know what, I'll step up. We need people who will be, be men and women of God, who will shake themselves, who will quit feeling sorry for, for their, their past, that will just trust God to begin again and 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 go back to it. Do what they can for the Lord. Someone said, well, wh- what is it that God expects of us? I said, well, he, his word says to do good, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. But uh, they said, well, what is the will of God, though, for my life? Uh, and I heard someone say this, so it's not original with me. 
but it's to do what we can where we are with what we've got today. So with whatever we have that we can serve the Lord, trust Him, learn to walk with Him, learn to learn when you have a need. Don't go telling everyone. Don't put it on Facebook. Uh, that's not saying if you if you need prayer. I'm talking about physical things. Uh, it's good that we've got people we can say, "Would you pray for me?" and uh, and they go to bat and they'll pray for you. But uh, a lot of the things that we think we need, uh, we don't really need them until we really need. Uh, you know, we don't uh, look at life the same way sometimes as God does. But I have found out everything I've ever needed, he's provided. And if it wasn't there, I didn't need it because he promised every need to supply. Sometimes it wasn't a whole lot, but I learned in those states to be content in those circumstances to trust God and in those opportunities that uh, for testimonies to come that I could wait upon the Lord. You know, I, I, I thought about how many people waited uh, on God for, for so long. You know, Moses waited 40 years uh, on the Lord before God really began to uh, uh, his ministry, you know. So we're in good company. If we're waiting on God, others in the Bible waited on him. And, uh, you know, he says, those that wait upon the Lord, they are the ones who will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings of eagles. They'll run and not be weary. And they'll walk and they shall not faint. But we have to say, Lord, teach us how to wait. Teach us to endure. Teach us to not try to fix things ourselves if it's something that you only you can fix. But teach us, while we're doing what we can, where we are with what we've got, to remember that we're blessed above all people, that God who has called us, who has redeemed us, that he will walk beside us and he'll meet us at every point of our need and he'll do above and beyond anything that we could ever think or ask. Amen. Wow. Well, I want to thank you, Marcia. I I guess before we we get off here, though, I definitely want you to just pray over the audience. And uh, but I want to thank you for coming on and sharing tonight. And I look forward to doing it again. And Julie, is there anything you'd like to say? Now was a wonderful uh, testimony of victory, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. Well, it's my precious privilege. You know, um, as I pray for those who are listening right now, I just, I just want to encourage you. The promise uh, is given to those who overcome that they'll inherit the great future blessings of the Lord. And you know, one of the common phrases often repeated to the seven churches listed in Revelations was the benefit and rewards that are given to those who overcome. So, Father, it's in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much, that you loved us before we even knew how to love you. And, Lord, that you made a way that we might have salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you gave for the whole world. You didn't just give for one or two. Father, that you have a plan of salvation for each one of us. And, Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would teach us how to be overcomers, how to be a partner with you, so that when you return... And you bring those who were the overcomers with you that we meet together in the air. Father, I thank you that you said the promise of power was given to the overcomers. And you said, Lord, that we would 
be able to see, Lord, great and mighty things if we didn't faint, if we didn't stop. Father, you know our need. You know the needs of the ones that are here, whether it be physical, whether it be financial, whether it would be emotional, whether they're hurting or whether they're happy. Lord, you know who who is listening. And you know, Father, those that may have a pain that they can't share with anyone, that they're going through turmoil, they're trying to make the right decisions, that they want to, Lord, be able to be known as the righteous ones. Father, we know that within ourselves, we can't do it without you. But teach us, Lord, what it means to say yes to you. To, If you put it in our hearts to go to the Philippines, or maybe it's not the Philippines, or maybe it's another country, or maybe it's just across town. Lord, if you speak that to us, that we would just do what needs to be done and go. And Lord, teach us how to forgive, how to love one another, how to say, yes, Lord, not our will, but yours be done in our lives. Now, For those that are listening right now, just reach one hand up to God. Just put put your hand up toward the heaven and just say, Lord, take my hand and lead me, and I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say, and I will do the best I can. And if I need to do better, put it in my heart because I'll give it all I've got. Now, it's in the precious and holy name of Jesus that we give you praise. We thank you. We just say, God, thank you. And, Lord, teach us how to be, one more thing, teach us how to be grateful for what we have and how to be content with what you've given us. We thank you for it. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Yes. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you, Marsha. And I look forward to I look forward to you coming on and sharing some more of your stories. I would consider it an honor. And if there's anyone that this has helped, may they let you know and may it just be a blessing in their lives. God bless you. God bless you too. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap.